This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so I think this may be a first. Now, we've had Hobie Baker winners on the program before, both of them, as a matter of fact, uh, both the freshmen who have won it, uh, uh, Jack Eichel uh, and Paul Correa. So that's nothing new. We've had World Junior gold medalists join the program before, uh, but never have we had a Hobie Baker winner as a freshman coupled with a World Junior gold medalist who's stepped out of class uh, at Michigan to uh, to take the phone call to talk to us here today. Adam Fantilli of the uh, Michigan Wolverines joins me now. Adam, first of all, thanks so much for doing this. Second of all, what class are you stepping out of right now? Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just jumping out of English class quick. What do you got? What are you guys working on right now? Um, it's more of a discussion day today. We kind of had a, a New York Times reading and uh, like write discussions about it and, and talk about it in, uh, in class. So that's pretty much what we were doing. Well, that's awesome. Well, listen, I uh, very much appreciate you stepping out of class. Um, if you're like me, any excuse necessary to step out of class, uh, you'll take exactly. it. And this one's uh, legit because we're, we're talking about your career and we're talking about your, uh, your, your, your life in hockey. And first of all, congratulations, not just for the World Junior Gold and the season with the Wolverines, but, you know, the Hobie Baker as a freshman. I mean, that's rare territory. That's, you know, two other players, Paul Correa, Jack Eichel, and that's it until you came along. Um, your thoughts on your season? I mean, you beat out, you know, a couple of outstanding players and Logan Cooley and Matthew Nyes uh, to win this award. Uh, going into it, when you found out the, the final three here, did you think it was going to be you all along? Um, no, not really. I mean, they're both phenomenal players. They both had great seasons. Um, their team accomplished a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it honestly could have gone any way in, uh, in that final three. Yeah, obviously, I'm extremely grateful and, and honored that it was my name, but uh, I, I think it could have gone anyway. So when the, uh, w- w- when your name was called, I would imagine, you know, a number of things sort of, you know, flood your brain. You think about a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people that, that helped you along the way probably felt the same way when you won uh, World Junior Gold and all the, you know, uh, all the uh, the accomplishments along the way. But when you won the Hobie Baker, were there, were there any people that you thought of specifically, other friends, family, coaches, like, who right away you think in your mind, okay, I got to make, make sure that I thank this person. Yeah. I mean, in the speech uh, that I gave, I pretty much had to thank everybody that was at the ceremony for me. Everybody that took the time out of their, out of their days to come to the, to the ceremony. It was amazing. All my teammates, all my coaches, all the support staff, um, they were phenomenal all year. Um, and obviously like my parents, my brother were in the front row there. So that was, that was really special for me. Yeah. It was uh, it was really cool, and you're you're such a, a wonderful player. I'm I'm always curious about kids in their draft year and how much they follow the the rankings from from various scouting services, um, you know, either from you know professional broadcasters or you know uh, the NHL scouting service, independent scouting services. Uh, I don't know if there's someone in that Michigan room that every month when the rankings came out, you know, posted it up on your stall or you know slipped it over to you, or whether you're someone that you know aggressively follows you know who's where and where you're being ranked by. Uh, by which evaluator, but did you have a sense all season long of sort of where you stood in the draft rankings? Um, I mean, a little bit, not really. I don't follow that too much. Uh, I stay off social media quite a bit. Um, in terms of my teammates, uh, they've had to deal with some uh, some pretty high-end guys and Owen Power and Veneers and Johnson and Hughes. <laughs> so they... Uh, they they just think all that stuff is old news, so they don't even bother. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't follow it too much myself. I, I like how you sort of uh, frame it that it's kind of it's kind of boring in that room because there's so many high picks uh, that end up going. How, how much would you like? I'm, I'm curious as well. Like, how much would you talk to you know Luke Hughes, who's you know turned pro now with the New Jersey Devils? How much would you have talked to him over the season? Like, hey, what do I expect for the draft? Uh, what's it going to be like? What was your experience like? Do any of those conversations happen at all, or am I projecting too much here? No, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, him especially. Um... Rucker McGordy is one of my best friends. Um, he went he mm-hmm. went last year, um, and especially like alumni and stuff like that. Like just talking to them, um, asking like wondering what to expect, um, and they, they mostly just say like enjoy it, like just be calm and like it only happens once, right? So you just get to enjoy the whole ride and whatever happens happens because you can't change it at this point. Your season's over. 
Yeah, it's it's got to be a, um, an interesting feeling. Like the combine is, you know, certainly on the horizon in Buffalo. But I mean, your work is as as far as the draft goes, outside of what you're going to end up doing at the combine. Like your work is done. Like now you've stepped away. Like, do you have that feeling that like, okay, my body of work is before everybody here, and now it's out of my hands. I'm gonna go do, you know, uh, some trap bar. I'm gonna hop on the bike. I'm gonna sweat, and you know, maybe maybe throw up uh, at the combine in Buffalo, and then it's off to whichever team ends up selecting me. Like, w- what's that feeling like, knowing that like your work is done here, and now it's in someone else's hands? It's uh, it's really weird, actually, to be honest with you. I mean. Um, a lot of the guys on our team are wired in the sense that they always want to keep playing. They always want to compete. They always want to, uh, they always want to have something to yeah. prove and um, kind of having it over in April after like playing two years in the USHL and going deep with those teams to midway through May, end of May um, and being done April 8th or whatever it was, April 9th was kind of a, a weird feeling. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, in, it's not in my hands at this point. Uh, I did the best I could this season, and, and hopefully that's enough. You know, I want to ask you about um, some of your coaches, um, and I, I want to get to uh, to Brandon Narado as well here in a second with Adam Fantilli of the Michigan Wolverines, um, scheduled high pick of this year's NHL draft. Um, the first time I saw you play was with the Red Wings. And I still, like, that OHL Cup final against the 03 Don Mills Flyers, like, that was, like, you were possessed uh, in that game. That was I know you came up short in, in that one. That was a stacked team, but... Uh, I thought you were outstanding. Um, Ag- a- Angelo Catanaro is a, a legendary figure in Scottish hockey. I'm not sure if you ever heard of this story before, but you know he would occasionally, he was a pretty tough customer, and he would occasionally play with a black eye, and the Scottish fans loved him, and they would take boot polish, and whichever eye he had a black eye underneath, they would put like black polish under that eye as a show of solidarity uh, to Angelo, who they absolutely adored. Uh, what was your experience like with him? I actually didn't know that. That's that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, you it's could tell one, yeah. he's uh, he's that kind of guy for sure. Um, he was amazing for me. Um, I, I loved playing under him. He was so much fun to go to the rink with. Um, he had such good like energy, and he like, he he really focused on the defensive side of it to start. And then once we got that down, we we started to focus on offense. And I think that was something that actually helped our team uh, go as far as we did. Because I'm gonna be honest, not really. Uh, not a lot of people expected us to get to that game um, with, the, yeah. with how many great teams were in that league. So um, he was phenomenal to play under. I, I loved it. He, uh, he would give me rides to the rink when my parents were uh, were working. So he was he was awesome. Tell me about Brandon Narado. Like he, I, 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 we all saw the video when you know Topher Scott, you know, gave the official nod that he was a full time coach, not the interim coach. Uh, what has he meant for your development this year? So much, so much. I mean. He's, I think he's proved himself as a head coach, and all year he was on that interim tag, and I think he also had something to prove yeah. this year, which was which was amazing. He was so good with with all of our players up and down the lineup, and the way he took everything as it as it came was was amazing. He handled it with such grace. Um, when it comes to the intricate stuff and, and how he actually coaches, um, I, I loved his systems. I loved the way he approached the game, um, how he taught it to us. Uh, it was it was all amazing. He would me little things that I could do better and try and implement it in practice with me all week and then try and get it done in the game. So he was he was so good in terms of development. I, I loved it. He's uh, he's such an impressive coach. Okay, so w- one thing that's... Um that I want to ask you, I've wanted to ask you this since, since the World Juniors. So, uh, you know, congratulations, gold medal. Um, there was a rumor that you and Connor Bedard had a either competition or a bet to see who could score the first Michigan in the tournament. <laughs> was that an accurate rumor or not? Um, no, we didn't have a bet. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we were messing around a bit and, I don't know. I mean, Ken Johnson scored in the World Juniors, so I guess we both wanted to give it a try. Um, <laughs> looking back, I, if I could do it again, I absolutely would not try it with the way the game turned out and the way the media went crazy about it. But um, <laughs> we were uh, we were both joking around about it after uh, after we ended up winning the medal. So uh, it all ended up being fine. But, yeah, I don't know if we had a bet. <laughs> 
because uh, that yeah, man, I'm sure you heard like that. That was the rumors going around, like, oh, these two guys have a bet going on. Who's going to score the first Michigan? What was it like playing on a team with Connor Bedard? I mean, we're watching him right now, and with the Regina Pats, and there's a big game seven tonight between the Pats and the Saskatoon Blades, and you know, Bedard is just like possessed on another planet. The whole deal. What was it like having him as a teammate? It was awesome. I mean, he's, he's a great kid. Uh, we're friends. He's um, he's really fun to be around. Good guy. Um, what he his play speaks for itself. Obviously, in practice, he's world class. Um, he works on his craft so much, and you can tell how driven he is and how competitive he is. Um, yeah, being on the same team was was amazing. I loved it. Um. You're from Nobleton. Um, I'm uh, uh, acquaintances, friends with uh, with Nick Boynton, and uh, you know, uh, plug for Boynton Brothers Sod Farms. Uh, Nick brought me to his Stanley Cup party at uh, at the barn in, in Nobleton in 2010 when the when the Hawks beat the uh, the, the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, tell us a little bit about your background for those that may not know you or know Nobleton or know the Fantilli family. Give us the the nickel and dime tour. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a what was a small town, uh, Nobleton. 45 minutes, 40, more, 40 minutes north of Toronto. Um, it's starting to yep. get a little bit more industrialized out there. Uh, a lot of people are building. Um, so it's getting a bit more busy, but it, it was a small town when I grew up there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I got one brother. Yeah, I've been playing with him for the last four years. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, one of the major reasons why I came to college. Um, and just It's just us four, and, our, and uh, that's pretty much all I got. Do you um do you think you're ready to play in the NHL next year? Like there's there's you know I was, I was talking to someone this morning who said there's a couple of things here. There's there's being ready you know physically and your game is ready, but then there's also the idea of okay so now we're jumping into a men's league here. Am I ready for all that that brings along with it? How do you feel about where you're at right now vis-a-vis the NHL ne- as early as next season? Yeah, um, obviously it's the best league in the world and. It's uh, it's every kid's dream to play there, and I feel confident about my game and uh, and that and that aspect of it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's an 82 game schedule. It's it's a man's league. Everybody's fighting for their paycheck essentially. It's, it's a you're playing for something different at that point. And um, uh, when the time comes, I'll, I'll be able to to make that decision. But right now, I don't I don't really know what the next step is. For anyone who's um, who, who's listening who uh, wants to know a little bit more about Adam Fantilli, what do you want people to know about you? When people look at Adam Fantilli, what are you hoping they say? Um, I, I just hope that, the, that they're saying he's a really hardworking, competitive kid. Um, I I love playing as hard as I can and, and, and showing that a little bit. Sometimes it comes out a little bit too much on the ice, but... Um, I just, I just hope that they respect my work ethic and compete. And your uh, appreciation of the value of a good education, and we're keeping you out of class here. Um, Adam, listen, thanks so much for joining me here today. Much appreciated. Uh, back to the New York Times review at, uh, at English class there at Michigan. We, uh, we wish you the best at the Combine, the draft, all of it, and congratulations on all your successes uh, this season. I know that Michigan finished up a little bit, just a little bit before you wanted to, but great season with the Wolverines. Great job with the juniors, and congratulations on the Hobie Baker. Much appreciated for coming on today, and best of luck at the draft. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. There he is. Adam Fantilli of the Michigan Wolverines, uh, stepping out of class, out of English class. Um, near and dear to my heart, because I was an English major, um, to, uh, to do that interview. Uh, fascinating guy. Real high-skilled player. Good size. Uh, speed to burn, high skill, all of it. And a lot of other years where there wasn't someone like a Connor Bedard, we'd be talking about Adam Fantilli uh, as uh, as the uh, the top rated prospect. Um, you know, and a really dedicated, focused, all in hockey guy. And he's been with that. He's been like that uh, with every single team that he's been on. You know, I mentioned the first time that I watched him was in the GTHL and when he played for the Toronto Red Wings. And that really was like to Fantilli's point, that was an underdog team. Uh, they made it to the OHL Cup final. And that was against one of the best, you know, minor hockey teams that Ontario has ever produced, the 2003 Domino's Flyers that had Shane Wright and Brennan Othman and Brant Clark. Like, it was a, a team that just 
like ripped into other squads. And I think it was three to one or three nothing after the first period for the Red Wings. And we're all saying like, whoa, we thought this was going to be a, you know, the crown on top of the Don Mills Flyers at this point. But Adam Fantilli um, is leading this Toronto Red Wings team to a, to a place that not many suspected they would ever get to. Um, he does have that ability. You saw that at Michigan. Um, and one gold, uh, world, uh, world junior gold this year on a very impressive team that he was a, a big part of. You know, there was a College Hockey Inc. event a couple of years. I think it was, would have been a couple of years before Fantilli would have been eligible for the OHL draft. Um, it was in Oakville and raised a lot of eyebrow. I think six, seven, or maybe eight different colleges uh, were there. And I think that was one of the first tip-offs everybody had about Adam Fantilli ending up going to Michigan uh, because, as someone mentioned to me this morning, him and Brian Wiseman were like separate, like uh, like were 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 joined at the hip uh, the entire time. And the whispers like, okay, I guess Fantilli uh, is going to end up at uh, at Michigan here. Great. You know, a uh, great time he had as well with the Chicago Steel of the USHL and a wonderful freshman season uh, as a member of the Wolverines. All right. Uh, thanks, to Adam Fantilli, for stopping by the show today. Really impressive, talented kid. Really, really great family as well. And listen, I'm about you know, half an hour away from Nobleton. A lot of good people, a lot of good hockey players uh, coming out of there as well. Uh, Going to hit a break. When we come back, David Amber greets us on the other side. We'll go over uh, we'll go over a couple of the storylines around the NHL and you know preview what should really be an interesting uh, Rogers Monday night hockey on Sportsnet. The Florida Panthers facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but there's a bunch of doozies tonight. All 10 games around the NHL have some type of playoff ramification attached to them. So enjoy it. And don't complain about games not being staggered starting at 7 o'clock Eastern. It's just the way it is. The butts in the seats business still. Not going to get your stagger. I know. I gross about it, but I stopped. Uh, hitting a break. David Amber joins me here in a couple of moments. Ken Weep coming up at the bottom of hour two as well. Merrick show continues. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Um, Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Ken Weeb from uh, sportsnet.ca. It is a huge one tonight. Winnipeg Jets look to create some distance between themselves and the Calgary Flames uh, as they face off against the San Jose Sharks. And insert your West Side Story jokes here. We all do it every time these two get together. Sorry, I can't resist, so I'm like everybody else. Uh, in the meantime, the uh, the host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey is David Amber, and he joins me now. David, how are you today, pal? Good, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. So uh, before we get into tonight's matchups and uh, some of the other issues around the NHL, uh, the QOD, what has been the biggest story for the season for you? Uh, what's yours, DA? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I was listening in the first hour, and for the record, I just want you to know, I, I, Elliot stole a bit of my thunder because I want to. I'm going to say a few things he might have said, but I do enjoy your 16 okay. thoughts far more than Elliot's 16 thoughts on the podcast. <laughs> I want to put that out there on the record. I think I speak for the Canadian public and probably the greater hockey public in general. Okay, very um, good, very good. You know what? I, I think really the big, with all due respect to what the Bruins are doing, and that's that's incredible, I, I think it's, a, it's kind of a no-brainer to me that the two Connors are the big storylines here. Connor McDavid and... Mm. I mean, the 150 points is one thing, but the, the, the point total I'm circling is 156. If Connor McDavid can finish with 156 points, which is very reasonable uh, if he plays these final games, uh, it would be the third. He, he would join Gretzky and Lemieux as the only two players to hit that total or greater. Like, it would be essentially the third yeah. you know, greatest individual season you know, we've seen from someone in, in, a, in regards, you know, like that's the thing. He's now one of six with 150, but imagine being able to be in that rarefied era of just being able to say only Gretzky and Lemieux. They're the only players to have scored more points yeah. in a regular season than 
than what Connor McDavid's doing this year. And I think Jay Woodcroft's point about, I hope there's a level of understanding and appreciation and respect for what Connor McDavid is doing this year. I, I've echoed that numerous times on different shows. I, I mean, I was pretty young when Gretzky was doing his thing and, you know, a little bit older when Lemieux was, was you know, tearing it up. Um, we just have to really respect this. It's not easy to go out there and, and put up essentially two points a game and night in, night out, um, perform on this level when every single team are game planning against you specifically. Every single team is sitting there saying, how do we stop 97? And, of course, they're trying to shut down 29 as well, but everything is geared towards Connor McDavid, yet he goes out there point after point, game after game, win after win, and at the, at, against the toughest opponents, the toughest matchups, and he's making it look, you know, on some nights pretty damn easy and pedestrian. So I just think we can't – that can't yeah. be lost. And then the other Connors, you know, you know Elliot I, I, said this. May you know, but it's, sorry, you want to say something about McDavid? I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just let, let me jump in on McDavid really quick because I I I, uh, I want to echo what you're saying about Jay Woodcroft because I thought that his point when we talked to him uh, a little while ago on the podcast was a great one to you know just to echo what what you were saying. Um, the the one phrase that I keep coming back to with Woodcroft is we can't let ourselves be numb to this. Mm-hmm. Like this is something spectacular here. Like after yeah. a while, I'm I'm guilty I'm guilty of this too. Um, you know, watching Gretzky do what he did in the 80s, after a while, it's just like, oh, yeah, and Gretzky's going to get 175 points and we move on. And you never really, just because you expect it from him doesn't mean you can't be amazed by it. And I think that was yeah. what Woodcroft is trying to get at here. Like, don't don't numb yourself to this. Like, what we're seeing here is special. What we're seeing here is really incredible. And f- further to that as well, you know, it's really hard. It is so hard to bring it for 82 games. You know, mm-hmm. there's one player, and uh, I'm not going to say the player's name, um, who famously would go to his coach at the beginning of every season and say, and this is someone who's in the Hall of Fame, who would say, listen, 30 games of the season, uh, I'm going to be the best player on the ice, I'm going to be a superstar, uh, everyone's going to look at me like I'm the best player in this league. Uh, 30 other games, you're not going to be able to find me unless you read the game sheet. And we'll just see how I feel for the rest of the games because I need <laughs> to pace myself through a season and get to the playoffs. You can imagine how well that goes over with various coaches, but yeah. if you knew the player that I was talking about, you'd be like, okay, I get it and I see it. Connor McDavid brings it every night. Like there's almost a, and this may seem like a stretch, but work with me here on this one, David. You know how Michael Jordan didn't want to come out of the game until some until everybody saw the Jordan show? It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. People paid money and they wanted to see the Jordan show, and he understood that, that people were coming to watch him. And until he gave the show, he didn't want to leave the game. Do you not think that McDavid kind of has at least a little bit of that type of flavor as well? He understands that people are coming to watch him, so he's going to try to do something every single game. It's hard, 82 games, not to take a game off. But Connor doesn't take a game off. To me, that's like I'm with you, David. Let's bracket that as like that's in a real special place for this question. Yeah, I, the emotional, the physical toll, um, you know, factor in the back-to-backs, the travel. Um, you know, I wonder. You know, yeah. he's he's a freak. He's he's superhuman in many in many respects. You know, and Crosby's the same way, and Crosby does it differently. You know, McDavid has the greatest level of skill we've ever witnessed, in my opinion. Um, you know, Crosby, you know, thinks the game and, and battles as hard as really anyone we've ever seen play the game. Um, it's it's impressive to see. And to do that night in, night out, you can really apply that to any job. I mean, there's some nights, you know, we're doing shows and you're not 100%. You're not, you're not at your best. Um, you try not to have those nights very often or else you're not going to be in the industry too long. But it does happen. Um, you know, he doesn't have those nights and again everyone is game planning against them it's it's remarkable what we're seeing and i just i think there's a level of appreciation but i I think you know if you're going to ask what the biggest storyline is like we just have to you know hats off to to Connor mcdavid not just doing what he's doing he's lapping the field doing it think about the great performers we've seen this year the pastronacs the matthew kachucks the tage thompson's leon dry he's lapping the field so 
No, it's funny. I kind of rolled my eyes when Elliot and you were on the show, on your show, what, three months ago? Oh, you know, it's done. The Hart Trophy's done. And I'm like, guys, let's settle down. It's game 40 of the year. But, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you credit. You guys you guys called it. You know, I thought a lot of things can happen between January and now. Yeah. But you guys called it. You was like, he's won the heart. He's won the heart. He's won the heart. And you know what? Yeah. It's, he just won. It's, if it's not unanimous, um, I would be beyond shocked. And I'd almost... They go as far as to say, well, that person, whoever's not putting them as top of their heart ballot, should not be in the voting process. I was going to say, you you know that there's going to be one person that hot takes this thing, right? You know, mm. there's there's going to be one, you know, who throws just something, and not necessarily out of left field, because I think in a lot of other seasons, you can make legitimate cases for a lot of other players, but McDavid's on a different planet. You're right. Like, and you're, and you're right. Like, t- two of the biggest, maybe the two biggest stories this year are the two Connors. You want to have a, a word about Bedard? This is a huge game seven tonight. The Regina Pats and the Saskatoon Blades. Your your thoughts on Connor Bedard this year? Well, I just think he solidified himself. I mean, they're they're intertwined. You're seeing what Connor McDavid is doing, and there's this promise of or possibility of what Connor Bedard can mean to whatever franchise you know ultimately wins the draft lottery on May eighth. You know, the, the two most important days that are maybe going to transpire in the next two months in the hockey calendar would be the day someone hoists the Stanley Cup and the day that someone wins the draft lottery as far as how it will impact the legacy of that team. So, I, you know, I don't want to overstate it. He hasn't played a single NHL game yet, but what we're witnessing him do on essentially a, what a goal a game, you know, level in his WHL WHL career, you know, back-to-back World Junior Gold. You know, the guy has lived up to the billing and then some. Um, It's just the idea of what this guy can do for a franchise moving forward is incredible. We'll see tonight. This would be a real shocker. Um, You know, if we're John, they're the prohibitive underdogs. They won the first two games, and, you know, it hasn't really been a home ice advantage for either of these teams. So I'm interested (laughs) to see what happens tonight with Saskatoon. But, you know, Connor Bedard is the, is the real deal by all accounts. And, um, you know, I think between what he promises to bring and what McDavid is bringing, it's the Connor and Connor show so far as far as the top storylines go. You know, if I had uh, told you on uh, on your opening night, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, that we'd be sitting here on the radio having a conversation on Monday, April the 10th, and the Toronto Maple Leafs would be playing the Florida Panthers, and we'd be talking about, you know, someone who's helped, you know, save this team's season and has been outstanding. You'd think like, okay, maybe we're talking about maybe Spencer Knight took the number one job away from Bobrovsky <laughs> or Bobrovsky turned into turned into Columbus Bobrovsky or, you know, Matthew Kachuk turned in a, you know, 50 goal performance and 120 points or maybe Alexander Barkov, you know, traveled to Lourdes and bathed in holy water and healed <laughs> up and he's all great to go. And, you know, maybe Aaron Ekblad is having a Norris Trophy type season but if at the beginning of the year I sat there and said, David, you're going to be hosting a night and uh, we're going to be talking about the Florida Panthers and the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're going to spend a lot of time talking about, checks notes, Alex Lyon. But here it is. I, I would say you're lying to me. I mean, <laughs> like, who would have thought <laughs> Alex Lyon? Right? Like, honestly, like, the whole thing is shocking. And it's funny, there's a lot of different thoughts about what has turned you know, this latest turn for the Florida Panthers because they were dead and gone. Was it the Paul Maurice rant in Toronto on the bench where he, you know, must have dropped, you know, 25 F-bombs in a matter of a minute and, you know, he was seething. I mean, he was apoplectic on the bench. Or was it, you know, Keith Kachuk going on, uh, I can't if it was a podcast or a radio station, I don't remember what, and basically calling out, you know, wow, this Florida team, they're kind of gutless and it's killing Matthew the way they're playing. And I was like, wow. Uh, you know, and then maybe <laughs> hidden behind those two situations, those two rants, is Alex Lyon, right? The, yeah. the, as you said, where was he on the depth chart? You know, it's funny. Jordan Binnington was, what, sixth on the St. Louis Blues depth chart the year they won the Cup. Yes. And he came out yes. nowhere. You know, where was Alex yeah. Lyon? He certainly was behind Bobrovsky, Knight. Uh, you know, he was maybe fourth or fifth. Uh, in their depth chart to start the year, and here he is saving, potentially saving the season. They went from a 23% chance, and now Money Puck has them uh, at a 78% chance. And essentially, the way they're playing, they've got to be feeling very good about the chances yeah. of them being back in the postseason. And they're not going to be an easy out if they get there. So it's it's been very fun to watch, and it makes for our last uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey show to be you know extra interesting tonight. We also have the Jets, so there's another team you know right there um, mm-hmm. battling. 
So we have two, two of our feature games, and we have Carolina as our third feature game. So um, it's a really fun way to finish up the year. Uh, some big games, and listen that that Winnipeg team. You know, Elliot and I mentioned this in the uh, in the first hour. We've been talking about this a lot. Um, teams that either have or don't have the killer instinct, and it presents itself to you. You know, I was making the point last week, David, on the show that the the team that I. I mean, the best team that I've ever seen as having the killer instinct was that 80s Oilers team. Like, when they were ready to close something out, they closed it out. Like, and it was like yeah. 12 to 2 or something. Like, they did not leave any questions at all. At all. It was like that Oilers. Like, it almost seemed as if I always got this feeling about the, the Gretzky Oilers in the 80s, David, that if you. If you scored on them, they got personally offended that you would have the nerve to try to score on them, and it would just like you know, just like inspire them to, to put in like three goal, three more goals in five minutes. We talk about having the killer instinct. To me, that's been one of the stories of the Jets. They don't have it. They've had so many times to put the flames out to end this thing, create the distance, separate, get your spot, and they haven't been able. To do it. That's why this is a this is a chance here for the Winnipeg Jets. This is coming off a big win against Nashville, where Nick Ehlers, you know, hit every goal post in sight. Two nothing victory over the Preds. This is going to be an interesting one to see if uh, if the uh, the Winnipeg Jets, Dave, actually do have some killer instinct in them. Yeah, and listen, the Sharks as bad as they've been, and they've been atrocious at times. They're two and zero versus the Jets this year, so nothing can be taken for granted mm. here. I, I, we're, I'm not sure who's starting in net. Uh, for Winnipeg, it could be a 12th straight start for Hellebuck, who's just been an absolute machine, and he he deserves some certainly some Vesna uh, discussion, and I'm, he might even get some heart discussion if Winnipeg could find their way into the into the playoffs. So, um, yeah, you're right. There's been a lack of killer instinct. You know, it's hard to compare that that Oiler team in the '80s with you know seven, eight Hall of Famers, including the greatest player of all time. <laughs> the Jets or the Flames this year, who've neither really had any killer instinct. I mean, we only have a race because it's been a snail race to, to the end line. I, I said about a month ago, it's going to take 97, 98 points. You know, it's going to take probably 93, 94 points to make the playoffs. Who would have thought that? Last year, it took 100 points in the East, right? So it's, it's a bit, it's a bit yeah. shocking um, how slowly this is matriculated, you know, through the year. And here's the thing, Winnipeg, uh, you know, they had a 10-point lead on Calgary in late January. They were first in the West in late in January Tucked 22nd, away. right before the All-Star break. Yes. They were first in the West. So this is a bit of a – they could totally, you know, flip the scripts, rewrite that storyline that will play out. If they don't make the playoffs, this is going to go down as an incredible choke job by many, you know, who, who follow the team, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but they can change all of that, and they can change the narrative, and they're, they're going to be a tough out come playoff time if they make it. So – yeah, you expect them to come with that killer instinct. They play tonight, and then they play tomorrow at Mini and Thursday at Colorado. So they better win tonight. And here's the thing, Jeff. If they win tonight, mm. the Jets, it's an elimination game between Nashville and uh, Calgary. Whoever yes. loses that game is officially done, and we can finally say, okay, we're down to two teams fighting for one spot in the in the Western Conference uh, second wild card. So. You know, they can at least get rid of one of the two teams chasing them tonight with a win, and they put themselves into a very, you know, good predicament, um, just needing one more point moving forward. So, you know, let's let's see how it shakes down because they play it on the ice, not on paper, and, and we've seen with Winnipeg this year, nothing can be, you know, taken for granted. Oh, uh, Ken, we've just uh, text in. I'm going to talk to you in about the hour. Hellebuck versus Reimer. There's your, uh, there's your goalie matchup for tonight. So you're right. So any, Hellebuck, any the workhorse, knows. David. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Kenny's I mean, it's, it's a wild story. Hey, him and Saros, uh, I think right atop the league, league in, uh, in, in minutes played and games played and starts, and he seems just tireless. And, and this could be it, right? There's been a lot of speculation. What's going to happen? I'm sure you can ask Ken about this. If they don't make totally. the playoffs or if they, if they get swept yes. by whomever in the first round, this is probably the last kind of go-around for this group that came so close in 2018 and have had, you know, a series of disappointments really since that Western Conference final versus Vegas. So this is the last go with this group, and, and they can totally, as we said, can change that script around with, with a great finish here and then, you know, could surprise some people come playoff time. 100% true. Uh, always appreciate the insight uh, and your time. David, thanks as always, pal. Enjoy uh, enjoy tonight, uh, the season's final edition of Rogers Monday Night Hockey, and it should be a great one. Playoff ramifications uh, up and down the line. We'll be tuned in, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Well, I wanted to ask you about TJ's tournament, too, so I hope it went well this week.
Ah, yeah, they, they, they flamed out against Tecumseh on Saturday night. Ah, good on Tecumseh. And then Tecumseh lost to Barry in the final, I think. So yeah, congratulations, well, Barry. <laughs> all right. Well, enjoy. And thanks again for having me on the show, Jeff. Always good. Thanks, DA. There he is, uh, David Amber, host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers, the Winnipeg Jets uh, facing off against the San Jose Sharks and also the Ottawa Senators uh, hosting the Carolina Hurricanes. And then later on, I think, I think um, viewers from the early games go right to the Calgary Flames, Nashville Predators. I think that one is going national. I think I had the distribution right on that one. Otherwise, um Blame someone else. Uh, Flames and Preds, 9.30 Eastern. All the others are 7 o'clock starts. Um, I wanted to get a couple of emails in here, uh, or DMs in here, rather, for the uh, for the QOD, which is, you know, what's been the biggest story for you this season? Um, a couple of people tweeting in. I mean, there's a number about Connor McDavid. Um, Alexander, the Connor McDavid could surpass Steve Eisman, one of the best seasons in NHL history, and the Oilers are 12-0-1 in their last 13 um, yes, absolutely. Um, again, don't be numb to what McDavid is doing. I know we're used to it, but don't be numb. That's Jay Woodcroft's uh, world. Uh, Double Blue submits, in a defensive-minded league that has coaches shutting down wide-open hockey and three-on-three overtime, McDavid's 150-point explosion is very impressive. Uh, agree that it's impressive. Not so much that it's a... Defensive-minded team. That's an interesting. That's an interesting comment to pause on because I kind of look at this era right now, and it's been this way now only for a couple of seasons, and we'll see what happens next year. Right now, the accent is more so on offense than it has been in years. Um, I know coaches will always still preach defense, and you don't generally make it, you know, through the American Hockey League and into the NHL with at least bumping into how to play your position defensively. Uh, and that's the one thing you can traditionally coach better than offense. But that's changed. A lot of that has changed. I'm not so sure that it's a defensive-minded league anymore. I think more of the accent is being placed on on offense. But still, uh, the point is well made. Um, David Felsborg submits definitely Connor McDavid being the first player since Lemieux in 96 to score 150 points. And as Jay Woodcroft said, he says, quote, we can't become numb to how great he is. Trevor Crowell um, says pride jerseys. You know what? Just park that for one second. I would have to assume, again, maybe a big assumption, but I would have to assume that at the end of the season, like when everything is done, playoffs are done, awards are done, draft is done, free agency is done, the NHL and the Players Association, who have been, how shall we say, conspicuously quiet about this issue, probably need to get together here and figure out how they are planning to handle this for next season. Now, the league has, as they've stated numerous times, left it up to the individual teams. But considering what has happened with the event, and again, to me, the main story is the almost unanimous support uh, from, from, uh, from almost all players in the NHL. That, to me, is the bigger story than the couple that have refused. But... Um, I get the feeling, maybe you do as well, that at the end of all of this this season, the NHL and the Players Association with new executive director Marty Walsh need to get together and say, okay, how are we going to handle this for next season? Because we can't do this again this way. Um, Jeff Follette submits, Eric Carlson being extremely back. (laughs) He is extremely back. Have you ever wondered about a comeback player of the year award? In the NHL, I I think it would be an interesting one. Um, Carlson would certainly have this one. Although, listen, um, Clayton Keller, man, Clayton Keller's had an outstanding season. And if you saw him at the end of last season with the broken leg, you say to yourself, "Weesh, I don't know what next season is going to be like." Clayton Keller's come back in a really challenging situation uh, with a team that doesn't have the best of all possible talent around him, and turned in an exceptional. An exceptional season for the Arizona Coyotes. Hang on, let me hang on, let me just pull up Clayton Keller. If you don't believe me, believe some numbers. Let me get the Coyotes here. Clayton Keller 
has distinguished himself as one of the best players in the NHL, playing on an Arizona Coyotes team that is not exactly filled with future Hall of Famers. Clayton Keller, first of all, he's played 80 games. Good on Keller. Um, 37 goals, 48 assists, good for 85 points. Now, because it's in Arizona, it's not going to get a headline, but Clayton Keller has turned in an outstanding season for the Arizona Coyotes. So if we're talking about, to Valette's point, about Eric Carlson being extremely back, yes, he is. And if he hits a century mark, like that's going to be like... I know the, the, the race the race for the Norris is going to be a very tough one. And there's a lot of, you know, players that are in the conversation, whether it's Quinn Hughes, whether it's Dougie Hamilton, whether it's Vince Dunn, whether it's Adam Fox, like there's a like Hampus Lindholm. Um a lot of players in the conversation. I know defensively you're left wanting sometimes. I get it. And there are those that are hardwired against Eric Carlson because of that. She got 98 points. If Eric Carlson hits 100, like we're getting back to Brian Leach territory here. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to not vote for Eric Carlson. Again, in a stacked field, it's going to be tough not to vote for Carlson. If he hits 100. Anyhow, uh, Carlson, yes, extremely back. And this is, once again, me lobbying for a comeback player of the year uh, in the NHL. Uh, Man on uh, submits Bruins beat the record. Passed to the second Bruin to 60 ever. First season with two 60-goal scorers in almost 30 years. McDavid just shy of the best season of anyone not named Mario or Wayne. Quibble about 63 wins all you want. It's different eras. Um, I always try to stay out of those conversations. I just kind of say, you know, you're both beautiful. You're both beautiful. You know, enjoy your conversation about the 77 Habs um, and the uh, the uh, 2023 Boston Bruins. Um, David Pasternak hitting 60, outstanding, 260 goal scorers. Bring it on, reinforcing the previous point that the accent right now more than anything else is more so than at least in the salary cap era generation on offense than it's ever been. Lucas C. sends a gif just of Ryan Reynolds raising his eyebrows and smiling out of the uh, corner of his mouth. We've talked about this countless times. How should I frame this? Given the Ryan Reynolds full court press charm offensive in Ottawa, how do you not hand this thing to the Remington group? And is there going to be a point where the Remington group, which is the Braddy family with Ryan Reynolds, just says to the daughters, what's your number? Tell us your number. Strongly suspect we're the preferred candidate here. What's your number? Because the one thing that I would ask you to consider is, I mean, there are a lot of other worthy groups here that are offering up a lot of money and bring, you know, different things that maybe the Remington group won't bring. And, you know, the Remington group is mainly interested in the real estate play. Ryan Reynolds is interested in the hockey play. But how do you go back to Ottawa Senators fans when you have someone like Ryan Reynolds involved as profoundly as he wants to be, glad-handing the way that he is, taking pictures with anybody and everybody in the rink when he's there, chumming it up with the mayor, all over social media, Ottawa Senators logos and hats and sweaters everywhere he goes on national television stateside. What's the value there? Like, how do you quantify that? Like, this is going to be the price tag for the team, but there's also this ancillary revenue that comes along with having Ryan Reynolds attached to the team. What's the price tag there? And can anyone else meet that? And so far, the city of Ottawa is beside themselves 
with the idea that they could have Ryan Reynolds on top of their hockey food chain. I agree with Luca. Like this is and is becoming just because of the ramifications of it, the biggest story in hockey. And it may not be a market that you're concerned with or even care about or have even thought about for a second. Like this is a national program. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're going on about the Ottawa Senators. Oh, geez, who cares about the Sens? This is going to affect everybody. Right? You know what this is going to affect? This will affect uh, teams getting sold. Because right now, make no mistake about it, the Ottawa Senators are going to you know, go for maybe as much as $900 million. So what does that make the expansion fee then? Are we at a billion now? You know, Elliot and I were talking last week about Salt Lake City. Is that a billion? Houston, is that a billion if that's an expansion market? Like, is that where we're at? And if, you're, if your team, okay, if your team looks at this and says, well, if Ottawa's worth $900 million and sports ownership is an equity play, Maybe the best time for me to get out right now is now. You know, I bought this thing at whatever I paid for it. But if we're talking about $900 million for the Ottawa Senators, what's my team worth? I wonder if there are, and I'm sure there are these conversations happening, once Ottawa gets sold and we find out what the price tag is, I wonder if other teams say, you know what? If we have, if we have that many owners potential owners out there that want to pay that kind of money for an organization. Let me get my snout in the trough. Let me get in. I'll take some of that. So Luca C submitting that one, the Ryan Reynolds eyebrow raise looking charming as always. I think that's a great one. Uh, Andrew M, the rise of prolific goal scorers, more than 100 pointers, 50, or 60, 50, and 40 goal scorers, a defenseman flirting with 100 points, Eric Carlson, and many from young stars likely to do it again, McDavid, Pasternak, Miko Rantanen, uh, Jason Robertson, Tage Thompson, Jack Hughes, and, <laughs> and the ageless Russian. Yeah. <laughs> Also, the tank fest for a shot at the other Connor. All good. All good considerations. Um, Russo's mentions. Uh, Short term is the Bruins' heck of a season. Long term. This is interesting. Long term is the Philadelphia Flyers' decision to move on from the previous brain trust. Interesting there. It's not just moving on from the previous brain trust, but having a philosophical shift. Because this has never been the way the Philadelphia... We've talked about this. This has never been the way the Philadelphia Flyers have done business. This is not a team that has ever, certainly not under Ed Snyder, the late Ed Snyder. When he owned this team, it was go forward, go forward, go forward, go forward. We do not take a step back ever at all. We move forward. And I know there was a brief, all, a brief flirtation when Ron Hextall was the general manager of taking a small step back and you know, uh, being a little bit more patient, specifically with a player like Carter Hartz. But then the Philadelphia Flyers essentially had no stomach for that, for that, and they went right back to doing business the way they'd always done business. And let's just sign a bunch of contracts. And Kevin Hayes, uh, how much do you want? Uh, here's a blank piece of paper. Just don't embarrass us. And we'll give you the money. Philosophically, this is a shift for the Philadelphia Flyers. That's why I think to Russo's mentions point here, it's not just the change of the brain trust, but a philosophical shift of how the Philadelphia Flyers are going to do business. For the first time in a long time, there is and will be long-term planning. Doesn't, doesn't mean, and Daniel Briere mentioned this, it doesn't mean that there are not going to be you know, a lot of similar faces in the lineup next year. But make no mistake about it, for the first time, you might say ever. The Philadelphia Flyers are interested in the long view. They want, they're looking well down the highway, not just to the next truck stop. They're looking deeper and deeper. Uh, Melanby's Dead Rat submits the $10 million goaltender and a second goalie that's supposed to take over. We know he's had a tough season. 
Alex Lyon may save the season for the Florida Panthers. Uh, another chapter of that written tonight, perhaps, for the Florida Panthers as they face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, one of three games, one of three early games, uh, the Jets, the Sharks, uh, the Hurricanes, and the Ottawa Senators on Rogers' Monday night hockey. Pre-game gets underway at 6.30. The puck drops just after 7. All right, I'm going to catch a breath, um, have a drink out of uh, out of this water bottle, and then come back with Ken Weeb from uh, Sportsnet.ca. We'll get on the Winnipeg Jets page. Will they finally have the killer instinct and snuff out a team and cement something uh, tonight as they face off against the San Jose Sharks. And boy, oh boy, with a win there, does that not make the Calgary Flames National Predators game so much more fascinating tonight. Ken Weeb joins me in moments from Sportsnet.ca. Jets page, Sportsnet 360 is uh, where you're watching. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Merrick's show continues after these brief messages. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Quick note here before we get to Ken. Um, NHL's three stars of the week. Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche, 10 points in four games. Eight points in four games for Jordan Eberle. He's star number two. And a perfect 3-0 record for Alex Lyon of the Florida Panthers uh, as he continues to save their season. He is star number three, and he's considered by some people on uh, today's, you know, uh, question of the day uh, what's been the big story for you this season you know he's right up there saving the, uh, the Florida Panthers season not unlike uh, what we saw um, Phoenix Copley um, saving the Los Angeles Kings season earlier this year Ken Weep from sportsdad.ca covers the uh, Winnipeg Jets with great authority and uh, we thank him for uh, for uh, texting in that your starting net minders tonight are Connor Hallibuck and James Reimer will start actually before we get there and Ken welcome to the broadcast once again what's been the big story for you this season yeah Jeff great to be with you as always uh, I think David and Elliot have uh, have captured the Connors perfectly and I certainly have not become numb to either one of their situations but I think another one of the things that we can't become numb to is the excellence of Sidney Crosby, six fastest to fifteen hundred, and especially when you consider the the broader, uh, you know, body of work and what he had to endure to just to get to this point. And I mean, there was a there was a time not long ago where we wondered if Sidney Crosby would be able to finish his career hmm. uh, based on the concussion issues. So for me. Uh, I've always had an affinity to Crosby, Jeff, just because they covered that. I was fortunate. Yeah. Um, so for him. me, we'll I, get him, uh, <clears throat> oh, we, we, we just lost you there, Kenny. You just lost you a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Back up a couple of seconds. No okay. Problem. Sorry. Uh, for, for me, uh, the ability to cover Sidney Crosby on that uh, dramatic and incredible world junior team that played in Grand Forks, they did their training camp here and in Gimli, Manitoba. So uh, I think he's just had an incredible season here in year 18, just still putting up incredible numbers and just basically trying to will the Penguins into the playoffs. And, and the other thing for me, the, the Avalanche, uh, that's another team who's had a really interesting season below the playoff line at one point uh, Jared Bednar has done an incredible job and you mentioned the three stars of the week uh, Nathan McKinnon four game winning goals in the week uh, is that good as you like to say um, they've had an incredible year uh, they've had an incredible yeah. year as well and Miko Rantanen and I think the other thing that we can't become numb to is the incredible season that the Boston Bruins have had in year one of the Jim Montgomery era you know basically they've been running away with uh, the, yeah. the coast to coast here from game one to 82 and I know a lot of people are wondering not a lot of adversity for that team to deal with but they've just been so exceptional all year long it's it's going to be interesting to see what the playoffs look like for them and for their opponent uh, over the next week here as we find out who uh, who gets into those wild card spots let me um really interesting and let me circle back to your first answer about Sidney Crosby and I'm I'm with you on Crosby and he's still playing at a, at a very elite level and sets a work rate for that team that uh, doesn't matter if you're a first game rookie or a 15 year vet you have to uh, you have to work towards what uh, what Sidney Crosby sets as far as the standard go but um, a guy of the name of if this is indeed his real name Lonnie Legend you know brought up a, uh, an interesting one on on the QOD where he says. Not as big of a story, but 
Malkin playing, brackets, knock on wood, 82 games this season brings me a lot of joy. You know the last time Malkin played 82 games? I do not, but I know it has been a while. I would imagine uh, he's had a lot of injuries so, in the last couple let of me years. Go. Let, let, me, let me grab this. The last time he had an 82-game season, 08-09. Wow. I, that's that's a good that's a good pull there. There's no doubt about that. And you know he's been great. And that, it's the, the whole running it back in Pittsburgh and what it's going to lead to. You know, fascinating times. You know, Chris Letang being up for the Masterton today. The award that uh, fortunate enough to be involved in here, Jeff. Uh, they're an interesting study and. You know, champions are trying to will their team into the playoffs in a year where a lot has gone sort of sideways for them at times is certainly going to be something to monitor. And I know you've said it on this show uh, several times. You think the Penguins could give those Bruins that I mentioned a run in round one, provided they can get in. I do. I do. I just look at the way, like, when when this team is clicking, and again, like, a whole bunch of things have to all fall in place. Um, But if there's anyone who's going to, you know, pop that that wild card spot that's going to draw the Boston Bruins card, I don't know. Veteran, again, like, everything has to fit in place. Tristan Jari has to be healthy and play like Tristan Jari can. And even then, it's going to be a tall order. But I, I look at all the teams that are fighting for that. Like, when you look at those teams that are fighting for that spot, like, if any of them draws the, the, the Boston Bruins card, which of those three teams do you think are the toughest out for the Boston Bruins? Yeah, I mean they're all tough in their own in their own way, right? Sorokin, you have Sorokin in the Vesna discussion. If the Islanders get in with the Panthers, uh, you know, you and I have texted about this, Jeff. I mean, Matthew Kachuk. I think if the Panthers mm-hmm. get in, Kachuk is a candidate to be second on the the runner-up trophy uh, that we're going to get we're going to get uh, produced here for the hard trophy uh kachuk's got to be in that discussion with the jason robertson's and the, you know whether it's Rannan or mckinnon that's becoming a debate in itself or you know if you want to consider leon to be you know in consideration for number two and even jack hughes a guy that i didn't have in my weebs rolled column but jack yep. hughes is a guy that that's going to be in the top five getting votes because of the year that they've had but yeah i mean Big picture, Pittsburgh probably gives them the, the toughest run. But you know, just to circle back on Kachuk, you talked about Calgary's offseason earlier with the guys. And, man, I, for a guy who basically you know, flexes his way out of town uh, to go somewhere where there isn't a ton of coverage, but Kachuk's season has also just been absolutely remarkable. And I should have also mentioned David Pasternak as, as a candidate for the, for the runner-up trophy as well. But, Man, just a lot of a lot of a lot of great individual seasons happening, and I know you talked about it. I think last week when Ryan Nugent Hopkins became the third Oiler to hit 100 points, it just is exceptional uh, for a team that hasn't had enough secondary scoring because of the two superstars, and rightfully so. Ryan Nugent Hopkins' season doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Uh, you know, this guy's previous career high was 69 points, and he's he's eclipsed 100, and and not just riding shotgun with those two guys. He's often had to produce that complimentary scoring that sometimes has been lacking along with, you know, Zach Hyman and, and when Evander Kane is healthy. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of that, like, to be honest and, and fair, too, like, a lot of that is him, and again, like, you still have to score. You still have to put the puck in the net, but a lot of it is that power play is just disgusting, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a big part of it. Um, but you're right. Like, I don't want to disqualify anything that Ryan Nugent Hopkins has done. He's had a... He's had an exceptional season. Um, okay, I want to get the Jets here. So I've talked about the killer instinct a lot, and the Winnipeg Jets, yeah. as much as having the potential and the players uh, to have the killer instinct, every time they're in a position to take someone out, they let the fighter off the mat. Uh, what do you expect tonight? You know, Winnipeg Jets can really do themselves a lot of good here. That Calgary... Uh, that Calgary went the the, uh, the the Calgary you know squandering the point on the weekend is a real tough one um, uh, for the Flames. That may ultimately have been their demise against the Vancouver Canucks. But and the Winnipeg Jets are in a position to do themselves a whole world of good. Which Jets team do we see show up tonight against the Sharks? Because I'll tell you, if it's the one we saw against Nashville, where I thought Nick Ehlers was the best player on the ice, and all we heard was you know pipe music out of him um, three times, I believe. Uh, then it's going to be a, it's going to be an easy closeout for the Winnipeg Jets. Which version of the the Jets do we see this evening, Kenny? You think? Yeah, Jeff, I'm expecting the Saturday version. Uh, I think that they they learned a lot from that sort of 
mediocre game against the Calgary Flames where the Flames are coming off their worst loss of the year. So a couple things working at play for the Jets. Uh, They've lost twice to the San Jose Sharks already this year, once in extra time, but once in regulation. So they will be on high alert as it is. And knowing how well they were able to dictate the the pace and be rewarded on a night where UC Soros didn't look like he was going to give up a goal uh, for the majority of the game that he played. So I think that those two things would sort of lead to, to them being ready. It's super interesting. Obviously we've talked about how you know, the team was 20 wins, nine losses and, you know, and, and one extra yeah. time defeat out of 30. And now they've been a 500 club uh, for the majority of the rest of the year. But I still do think that, they are on alert in terms of urgency. They found that urgency on Saturday, and, and I can't imagine they revert to past form against a team like the Sharks that has already beaten them twice. Now, how are they going to fare against the a hungry Minnesota Wild and Colorado Avalanche team? Well, I mean, that that's the multi-million dollar question. But in terms of tonight, uh, I expect yeah. them to put themselves into in the, in a good position to to close close things out essentially as you mentioned i mean if the jets win tonight it's a it's a it's a winner go home game officially for nashville and calgary uh, i have a feeling that that game is a three-point game somehow in in calgary this evening but i do think the jets are mm. going to be ready and sharp but you know if they're not now their task gets monumentally tougher and you know they would they would potentially not be yeah. in the eighth spot i mean out of a playoff spot in game 80 for the first time this year essentially right so i don't think that's a place that they want to uh, go to considering this was a team battling for first in the western conference on january 17th what which player on this jet squad do you have the most questions about going into uh, into tonight's matchup I mean, eventually, oh, this is, what number twelve in a row for Connor Hellebuck, but I don't have any problems with him. That guy's a, that guy's a workhorse. But uh, which, which player do you have the the most questions about? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to have to use process of elimination. Uh, neither Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor took the morning skate, and Rick was in playoff coaching mode here, saying, "Don't ask me whom is the game oh, time boy. decision." But uh, but Nikolai Ehlers was, I agree with you completely. He was the best player on the ice on Saturday. You know, the great setup for Mark Shifley early with the slap pass on the power play that went off the post. Uh, his play to find Neil Pionk was next level. That whole sequence, Jeff, from the, you know, kick pass to Wheeler getting it back in the neutral zone, chipping it past the defenseman, dragging all defenders to him, finding the trailer, and Neil Pionk going bar down essentially. Uh, that was uh, Nikolai Ehlers' zone entry magistry, basically. Uh, I would think he's going to be yeah. ready. So uh, although he said it was a game-time decision, uh, actually, Anson Fialbi stayed out late with the rest of the uh, scratches. So uh, I don't know how severe it is, but I expect both those guys to be in the lineup. Uh, Mark Scheifele, that was a big goal for him, his 40th of the year. That's a career high, first time hitting that plateau. But Mark's a guy who down the stretch hasn't produced the sa- at the same level as he had during the course of the regular season. But he had a game-winning goal, and I think it was his ninth of the year. Uh, so he has been clutch for the Jets. They need him to be clutch again. That line with Connor and Dubois has really been cooking uh, the last little bit here. And, and Dubois, a game where the Jets weren't very good against Calgary, Dubois' engagement level was super high. So yeah. I don't know that I have a ton of question marks, but and, and I'm with you. I mean, Hellebuck, yes, it's you know start number 62, I think, here tonight. I don't. I don't see any issues with his uh, workload. They've been fortunate. They've had a couple of two-day breaks in between games. So as crazy as it sounds to say, I think he's fresh for this time of year, considering he leads the league and starts. Uh, I think that he is locked in his rhythm, and, and, and I think he'll be ready to roll. No question about that. Let me, let me finish with this one, Kenny. Um, how are you feeling about Rick Bonus right now? Um, it seems as if, I mean, I've been making the point that this, this Winnipeg Jets team, team really seems like they're wound tight. Uh, like a really tight, tightly, you know, tightened snare drum. Um, how has Rick Bonus been through all of this? Yeah, you know what, Rick is, it's been a tough year in his health. We know he had COVID early and I think there have been some, some effects that have sort of, you know, drained some of his super high energy. He still brings a lot of energy and excitement to the rink yeah. daily. He's, He's one of those NHL coaches who's very vocal and involved. Uh, Rick was very upbeat and positive today, and I think that the mood around the team, there was a little bit of a exhale after Saturday's game. I thought they were much looser in their dealings with the media.
I think we just totally lost. Yeah, I think we just lost Kenny. That that's cool. We're wrapping up anyway. But that's, you know, to the to the point about Rick Bonus. Yeah, I mean, we do know all about the uh, uh, COVID situation and you know sapping energy um, from him ever since. But good that he's in a great mood. Um, hockey lifer, uh, one day Rick Bonus. We thought it was going to be this season. Uh, will not be behind an NHL bench in some capacity, either as a head coach or an assistant, and that will be very bizarre. To say the least, I'm just grown accustomed to an NHL where Rick Bonus is on a bench somewhere. Um, thanks again for stopping by the uh, the program, Ken Weave, uh, the great Ken Weave from Sportsnet.ca. Winnipeg Jets, San Jose Sharks, one of three games on the board for Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Um, a couple of more uh, answers to the uh, the question of the day, which is uh, what's been the biggest story of the regular season uh, for you, Mark Stone. What is this one? Mark Stone's. Let me get this right. Mark, okay, Mark Stone's Water Boy submits this one. Um, Alex Petrangelo quietly setting Vegas record with most points in a season by a defenseman, especially after the health scare with his kid. Have we have we fallen asleep? Have we totally forgotten? Maybe it's because it's in he plays in Vegas now. Although Vegas gets headlines and gets spotlight. Should anyhow. Have we forgotten how great Alex Petrangelo is? <laughs> We've forgotten that he's still like one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Just never a peep. Um, also, Dennis Schumacher submits this one. I like this. Everyone distracted by the shiny things and missing out on, and I'm guessing the shiny things would be Connor McDavid, um, the Boston Bruins. Those would be the obvious ones. Everyone getting distracted by the shiny things and missing out on. One, remarkable season Clayton Keller has had. Great point. Absolutely with you. And I'll try not to gush about this one too much, but forgive me if I do. Daniel Sprong. He plays for Seattle, by the way. Fourth line. Barely over 11 minutes. Daniel Sprong being first in points per 60, five on five. 20 goal fourth line score. Think that's a nice fit? Yep. For a little bit of context. Daniel Sprong is first in points per 60, five on five. Connor McDavid, our man Dennis Schumacher submits, is 16th. That's a whopper. Thanks, everyone, for playing along on this one. Thanks to Ken Weep from Sportsnet.ca, David Amber from Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Adam Fantilli, University of Michigan Wolverine, stopped by, ducked out of class, English class nonetheless. Uh, to talk with us, Hobie Baker uh, Award winner, freshman, and Elliot Friedman for kicking things off today. Uh, thanks so much to Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, David Sis for helping out, and for Matt Marchese. We're back tomorrow. Ten games on the board tonight. Enjoy them. They all have playoff ramification, folks. Rogers Monday Night Hockey gets underway at 7.